people love reading and people want to find books that they love to read. Readers are risk averse. We have limited money and time. I actually say time is even more important. We don't want to get a book and commit to a book that we aren't sure is good. Most of us, right? We look for any indication. A friend told us about it. We heard the author on a podcast. We look at the reviews. So the thing that hasn't changed is that readers want to find new books and they want to find books that they know they're going to like. How that happens, how they learn about those books has changed dramatically. Welcome to another episode of Listeners to Leads, where I'm helping podcasters launch and maintain a lead generating show. I'm your host, Alicia Galati, the CEO and head podcast strategist behind Galati Media, a full service podcast management company. On this show, you'll hear my guests and I discuss everything it takes to launch a successful podcast and keep it running. If you're ready to get leads, land speaking gigs, and create deeper connections with your audience through your podcast, then this is the show for you. Today on the podcast, we have Dana Kay. I am so excited for you to hear this conversation. I know I say that every time, but guys, come on. We have the best guests here. Dana has an extensive background in PR, and she helps specifically authors with their PR and ensuring that they're getting that public eye on their book. So if you're an author, you're looking at podcasting as a strategy, Dana has some tips, tricks, stories, and ways that she's able to help her clients get that publicity that they want and desire using a podcast, as well as some other mediums that we talk about that I think are also relevant to authors. So if you're an author and you want to be a podcaster or you already are a podcaster, then this is going to be the podcast episode you're going to want to listen to. Hello, Dana. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to chat with you. If you could just tell everybody who you are, what you do, and a little bit about your podcast brand blog mesh of awesomeness. Thanks, Alicia. It's great to be here too. My name is Dana Kay, and I'm a laryngitis survivor. So everyone give me a little bit of grace as I recover. My voice is normally not this. I don't smoke a pack a day. It's not this raspy. But <laughs> in my main life, I am the owner of K Publicity. We are a literary public relations agency. So we work with authors and publishers to reach more readers, increase sales, and help them have a thriving writing career. And so we do this through full service campaigns. Um, we have several authors and publishers we work with where we are handling their media pitching, they're helping them with social media, booking events, like the whole nine yards. And then I also have a community called Your Breakout Book. It's a website with a blog, podcast, and there's also a paid membership community where members are learning how to launch their own PR campaigns. So it's a guided DIY approach. Um, I do believe that any author, regardless of genre, format, it is possible for them to have a thriving writing career. And I'm honored that they let me help them. I love that so much. If you guys have listened to the podcast, you know, I'm an avid reader. I don't do the self-help books anymore. I've kind of come to terms with the fact that I like reading romance and that is okay. And that's still reading and it makes me a happy person. So <laughs> there's no guilty pleasures when it comes to reading. Everyone should read guilt-free. Yes, of course. So with a background in marketing, I know PR is different, right? Like there's more nuances to it. So if you could just kind of explain to everybody 
the differences between like marketing a book or PR? Happy to. So public relations PR is like the umbrella of how you relate to your public, right? So it is how you are being perceived in the public eye. So under that larger public relations umbrella, there's several components. Uh, One is publicity. So publicity is earned media coverage. That is other people talking about you, your book, your business. And so that is reviews, features. It's, you know, folks like Alicia having me on her podcast. It's things that you are earning. It's not like pay to play. It's not placed. So it's you going on other people's platforms to talk about your book or other people talking about your book. Marketing is placed media coverage. So that is you talking about your book to your audience. So that is your podcast, your newsletter, your social media pages. That's the marketing piece. It can also be things like paid advertisements or paid placements or sweepstakes, things that are pay to play. The benefit of publicity is there's more clout involved, right? Like, so if the New York Times is talking about how good your book is, that holds a little bit more weight than you talking about how good your book is. And so the benefit of publicity is that it it holds a lot more weight. The downside is that you can't control it, right? You can't control if the New York Times reviews it. They're going to choose what they review. You can't control if they like it or don't like it. A lot of that's out of your control. So the inverse is true of marketing, that you have full control over your marketing, right? You control what you say in your newsletter, when you say it, what you post to social media, but it doesn't have as much clout because it's you. And so I believe that the best PR campaigns are when you have both, that you have the marketing that amplifies the publicity. So like if you have a great podcast interview, only the podcaster's audience is going to know about that unless you also share it with your audience, share it with your social media, share it with your newsletter. Additionally, like if you have a great newsletter, if you have great social media, more publicity opportunities can come your way. Like in this instance, like Alicia, you and I have been in similar circles online. I had posted something on social media about publicity and how authors can get publicity for themselves. And you're like, okay, we have to come on and talk about this. I didn't actively pitch you. And so they really work in tandem. So you You can have just one, but it isn't as impactful if you don't have the other. Yeah. And even to kind of take that a step further, when I was like, hey, she's talking about this. This is interesting. Kind of did a little bit of digging, saw that you were on other podcasts that are reputable, that are popular. I was like, so this person knows what they're talking about, right? And so it does, like you're saying, that PR and that marketing together can work in tandem to make you look better, right? Absolutely. You need someone else to vouch for you. Yes. With that, what, because I am an avid reader, I know a lot about like advanced reader copies and like getting people to leave reviews early and like that kind of stuff. Actually just did that for a author that I am obsessed with her book, that's coming out. I'm not going to name drop it here because it's irrelevant to this topic. But what is your stance on getting people because it is, it's an interesting combination of marketing and PR because you're still like giving them something in exchange for something. So would that still be under the PR side? Or would that be more under the marketing side since it is almost like a paid quote unquote, I'm doing bunny ears here, you guys can't see me more of like an exchange. 
they can't review your book without the book, right? right. So like they're going to get the book because it's just like a restaurant critic going to a restaurant to review or a music critic needing the MP3 or whatever it is. And so the difference is, is there's not a guarantee. So like if I send books to, let's say like bookstagrammers, mm-hmm. which is big in many circles. If I send books to the Instagrammers who talk about books, I'm sending it to them. I'm kindly suggesting that they post a review on launch day, but it's their, it's their platform. It's up to them whether or not they post. Unless I am doing a paid partnership or doing some sort of other like marketing agreement, it's an editorial piece. Like it's up to them of like when they post what they say about the book, I have no control over it. So that's really where that's where that line goes. So with, if we pitch, we've, we've run into this quite a bit recently, actually with booktubers, bookstagrammers, book talkers, the TikTokers, yes. <laughs> book talk. And they will say, thank you. I am interested in reading it. I can't guarantee that I'll review it. If you want a guaranteed placement, here are my rates. And that's fair. Like, yeah. and sometimes we might want to do that. Like if we really just want coverage and we want to do that, but keep in mind that once it transitions from publicity to marketing, the clout goes down a little bit, right? Because it's going to have that hashtag ad, mm-hmm. that paid partnership. And we're really savvy as users. Mm-hmm. We see that and we know, okay, like that's a paid partnership. I'm going to take this with a grain of salt. And so I think that when we we try to really rely on editorial coverage as much as possible, the marketing that we do or the paid arrangements that we do usually come from not getting paid to do a review, but getting paid as a content creator or a moderator in some way. So for example, if we want an Instagrammer to host a book club where their followers read the book and then she inter- he, they interview the author, I'm fine paying for that because I'm paying for their time as a facilitator. Right. That feels good to me. It feels less good to say, I'll pay you to review this because what are they going to do? Pan the book after I paid them 200 bucks? No, they're going to write a nice review because they want me to keep coming back. So just note that it's not for better or for worse. Like it's, you know, it's what you feel you want to do, but just know that when you pay and it's a paid partnership, the clout factor dials down a little bit. That makes sense for sure. And I know there's a lot, like you were saying, as users, we know, like, we're like, "Mm, is it really like they just paid someone a lot of money to, you know, say this is great. Is it actually great? And you're gonna go instead to those bookstagrammers to those book talkers who are raving about the book and don't have anything that they're getting back from that they just genuinely enjoy the book. 100%. 100%. The fact is, is like, we do give them the review copy, like they want the books, like we're not in the business of shoving, right. <laughs> shoving books down people's throats. Like if you don't want it, you don't have to say yes. But it's at the point actually where for social media in particular, a lot of our strategy is to reach out to our core audience, have them post a little bit early, because then the amount of inbound requests for those books, we have certain books, especially romance and romantic comedy specifically, that if Capability even posts, hey, this is coming out next month, we have galleys for influencers. <laughs> We're going to get, like, it does her job for us in yes. a way. Like, there's so much inbound. Some of the other, like, nonfiction titles take a little bit more effort, but we have authors like Soraya Wilson and Maisie Eddings, where as soon as that we have a book, we were getting just like swarms of emails saying, do you have the next Soraya book? <laughs> I heard uh, Maisie Eddings has a new book. <laughs> so it kind of does our job for us. But that's a great example too of like, 
how the marketing and the publicity go hand in hand because we could just pitch, right? Like Mm -hmm. we could just pitch those people. That's really time consuming. Or we could just post it on our social media, the cute cover with like a little, the swag items we printed or like our cute little coffee cup or whatever. And then people will want that book. And so then it like flips it a little bit. So I do think the most successful campaigns are where there's both publicity and marketing. Yeah, 100% agree. PR and marketing have changed a crazy amount (laughs) in the years. And you started your publicity business in 2009, which is like, oh my goodness, this is quite a while ago. We were just babies. (laughs) (laughs) So how has it changed over the years from the PR side, the marketing side, the podcasting side? How has that kind of all shifted over the years? I'll start with the thing that has not changed. People love reading. And people want to find books that they love to read. Readers are risk averse. We have limited money and time. I actually say time is even more important. We don't want to get a book and commit to a book that we aren't sure is good. Most of us, right? We look for any indication. A friend told us about it. We heard the author on a podcast. We look at the reviews. So the thing that hasn't changed is that readers want to find new books and they want to find books that they know they're going to like. Yeah. How that happens, how they learn about those books has changed dramatically. So for our younger listeners, you might recall there was a time before Twitter existed. And there was a time when Facebook was (laughs) there was a time when Facebook was only open to college students. And so when I started my business, I was coming out of college and I had a Facebook account because I was in college when Facebook came about. And I was an early adopter of Twitter. And these were the things where I was like, I feel like this is something. I feel like this is going to be a thing. And the publishers didn't know about it yet. Mm. And so my first client, who was a local author, we have known each other for years. We were in a writing group together. She's like not risk averse at all. She's like, I want to do something cool. I want to do something different. Like, let's do, let's like think about things. And I remember distinctly going to her publisher and saying, There's this thing called Twitter. People follow you and them being so creeped out by that term that follow was not in the zeitgeist. Like, that's so creepy. You're signing up to get stalked. Like, why would you do this? And we're like, okay, you do the radio, the newspapers, the TV, like, you do all that stuff. We're going to run with this other thing. And so at the time, we did like a social media campaign. We did like, we got her book trailer sponsored by Segoy Running Apparel. Like, we did like some kind of fun out of the box things. This was also when I was fighting for book bloggers. Um, blog tour was not in the zeitgeist yet. Book blogs were just like versioning, you know, as a review outlet. And I would have to fight with the publishers to get them to send to book bloggers. They're like, they would call them amateur. We don't send to individuals. I'm like, these people have followings. This is the new word of mouth. So what hasn't changed is that people need to find out about books. Just how they've done that has changed. So back in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was all about the newspaper reviews. I was a freelance book critic before I did this. So I wrote for newspapers and magazines and then some like less sexy stuff because we got to (laughs) eat. And then newspapers were cutting their book sections they were filing for bankruptcy, print stuff was going down. Like this is, again, this is all before the iPhone. So just for context, (laughs) for iPhones and tablets. And so all those things were starting to shift. And then people like me who would get, I would get a hundred books a month to review. I obviously didn't review all of them, 
But anything I couldn't pitch to my editor or I couldn't place anywhere, I would put on my blog because I wanted to talk about the book. Mm -hmm. And so the book blogs were kind of blowing up at this point. And so what's shifted now is like blogging is obviously like less about, like it's a little less popular. Mm -hmm. People have moved towards YouTube and Instagram and, you know, the social media pages um, or newsletters, like Substacks and things like that. That's where that's kind of shifted. But ultimately, like, it's just the mediums. So the mediums are changing. But I don't think that, like, people aren't going to stop wanting to read and talk about books. That's been constant. I also think that with podcasts, podcasts is probably, if I look at our clients and our campaigns, it takes up the majority of the media outlets that we get. Wow. I would say the majority of our clients are having at least 10 podcast interviews per book because I think, well, I, we can dive into this. I could talk about this of why it's so effective, but I know your list, listeners know from listening to this podcast <laughs> why podcasting is so impactful. But for readers in particular, unlike a radio show, like a radio show, if you're in studio, you'll have probably, if you're lucky, you'll have 10 minutes. Podcast is 30 to 40 to sometimes a full 60 minutes. Yeah. I am in your ear right now talking to you, building up trust with you in a way that a five-minute TV spot or a 10-minute radio spot just isn't going to do. And so that's why podcasts, I think, really started to blow up is because one is the invention of the iPhone. That was obviously a big... I wasn't listening to podcasts on my computer before. So obviously with like the rise of Spotify and the iPhone, like that really changed the podcast game. And so now people were listening to them on their commute. They were listening to them in their car. They were listening to them, you know, it really took over from the people who are dialing their radio on their way to work. And so I think that was like the biggest shift. And the evergreen nature of podcasts is just so incredible. Like I remember staying up late to like listen to like a client's radio spot and to like try to catch it live because if I didn't catch it live, it wouldn't happen. I remember paying, we used to use a service that would clip, like make media clippings. So they would like record the pot, they would record the radio and give me a file so I could listen to it. But podcasts are so evergreen. They're there forever. You know, I'm no longer actively podcasting. So like, I'm not dropping new episodes for your breakout book, but I still get probably anywhere from 30 to 100 downloads a week. Yeah. Just old episodes. So that's really grown as one of our, I won't say our primary outreach, but I'd say probably like 15 to 20% of the media hits on our clients' you know, summaries every month are likely podcasts. Wow. That is so incredible. And you wouldn't think like not being in the space... Oh, yeah, authors on podcasts. It makes sense. Like in my brain, I'm like, yeah, duh. <laughs> but like, if you're not in this space, it's like, well, why a podcast? And so, yes, I talk about it constantly, but I still want you to say it because people need to hear it a bazillion different times and different ways to like get it through their heads. Why is a podcast so effective? And I have an example that I want to share with the audience. I listen to the Romance at a Glance podcast. They've been going for a couple of years. They do like their own awards every year and like different seasons have different genres. But they started interviewing authors. And I remember seeing that they had Katie Robert on there. And I was like, um, yes, hello. I, I read one of her books, loved it. And I ended up joining her Patreon from that podcast episode because I heard her on there. It was like, I like her. 
I like her even like I did like her before, but I like her even more like as a person. I like her take on things. I didn't know she had a Patreon and you get all these things through it. Cool. And I've been in it for a year now. <laughs> like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leaving at all. She is stuck with me forever and it's fine. <laughs> so I think that's a great example of like how that one interview, which is still up there, people can still go listen to it, can drive traffic to your books, to your sales, to like those ride or die fans that obviously as an author, you want to create. So what is your take (laughs) on why is a podcast so important for an author? So there's a couple of reasons. One is I think it's extra impactful for those of us who have audiobooks, because it's super easy to transition from a podcast to an audiobook. So I know that when we talk about audiobook strategy, you know, some authors will like, get their audiobook rights back. Sometimes it's staggered of when the audiobooks come out. So if you have an audiobook, it's even more impactful. If you are the one reading that audiobook, it's even extra impactful because like clearly you're listening to my voice. You're like, I can't listen to this for eight hours because I'm all gravelly. But if I have a very <laughs> if I have a different voice, I did narrate my audiobook. So it sounds a little different. But I think that you get like a preview. It's almost like it's like when we get um well sometimes get excerpts of the book published on various websites or in magazines. And that's so impactful because you get a taste of the book. If you're like, if I read this part and I loved it and I want to keep going, then it's really an easy transition. So same with podcasts. If I'm listening to the author, I'm like, oh, this is really great. I can, on my little app, just like transition over to Libby or Chirp or Audible or wherever I'm listening and just get the audiobook right there. Additionally, kind of like what we were talking about before, uh, podcasts are evergreen. So they are sticky. Readers who are looking for books may find you like a year from now. It'll continue to pay off in the long run versus, you know, certain blog posts, newspapers get thrown away, you know, TV gets, you know, shuffled on and even websites will kind of like get old, quote unquote. But podcasts are really, really sticky, really evergreen. So people will find you, you know, years from now. And then finally, you get to know the podcast guest or host if you're the if it's your show in a very intimate way. I don't know if you get this Alicia. Like there's podcasts I listen to. I like feel like I know the hosts. Yes. I'm like it's a little creepy. Like you've never met me, but you talk to me in my ear for an hour every day. I listen to Make Me Smart, which is the NPR's marketplace podcast. They distill what I need to know about they give me the Cliff Notes version of the hellish landscape that is our current country. And if I saw those hosts in real life, like I would feel like I know everything. Like I know their dogs' names. I know like their preferred drink. I know their kids. Like <laughs> Kimberly and Kai, I won't stalk you. Don't worry. <laughs> but like you, you build up this trust with them. And so when they say, hey, this is a person you should care about. This is a book you should read. And then I hear that author talking about their book. Like there's that even like bigger trust that's built. Like a great example, like you said, that's a great example, Alicia, of like, I listened to this author, loved her, went up, signed up for her Patreon, done. My wife doesn't read much after she had her son. It breaks my heart, but she doesn't read it that much anymore. However, she listens to the, some podcasts and the only books that she has bought and read are books that the person was the guest on her beloved, you know, witches podcast, parenting mm-hmm. podcast, whatever she's listening to. Those are the only ones that she's bought. 
no matter how many books I have in my garage, no matter how many books I hand to her and say, you really need to read this. (laughs) Doesn't trust me, but the podcaster that she listens to every week, that's the one she trusts. All of those things put together make it a really powerful tool for engaging with potential readers, nurturing that readership and getting them to buy your book. Yes. Going back to the evergreen comment, and then I do want to talk about that creating relationships part as well. The evergreen part, like adding in social media, the turnaround for social media is so quick. Like a post of a you know, Instagrammer saying, Hey, I loved this book. It was fantastic. That's not going to last very long, but that podcast is going to be there for years. And then to that relationship side, I did see that same podcast, Romance at a Glance, do this where they had a bookstagrammer on to talk about a specific book. They both loved the book, talked about it crazy, posted on social media about the book. And I was watching in the comments because I just like to stalk people on social media. It's fine. (laughs) And I was watching in the comments that the author, after she was tagged, they were like, oh my God, would love to talk to her about this book. And she was like, yeah, have me on. And then had her on, they were able to reference. So as a podcaster, they were able to reference back to when they talked about the book, get more listeners for that one. But then also having her on added that additional, like the things that we were wondering when we were talking about the book. So like, as an author finding spaces that like, where are people talking about my book? Where can I have further conversations with them? And to your point, yes, we trust the podcasters and we are obsessed with them. And I like to say like, I will listen to podcasts in the shower. So like my most intimate moments (laughs) is when you are in my ears and you are talking to me and it might be a little creepy, but whatever. Like, that's how I get to know you. And yes, I know your dog's name. I know, you know, like you said, your favorite drink. And I trust what you're going to say because one, other recommendations that you've given have not steered me wrong. And I like you as a person. So I value what, you, what you're actually saying. Otherwise, I wouldn't be tuning in. And that trust can be really easily broken. We can go on like a little tangent of like podcast advertising is an easy way. Yes. That I feel like sometimes trust is broken. So like for our authors who have launched their own podcasts, we are very diligent about making sure that any advertising or partnerships are on brand. There's a pretty big podcaster who I listened to like many entrepreneurs did in the very beginning of our careers. And I started gigging a little deeper into like who she had on as guests and then also her sponsorship. So like one of her sponsors was Wix. I'm like, your website is on Squarespace. I don't think you can honestly recommend Wix, but Wix gave you money. So you're going to do that. Or, oh, you had this guest on that clearly like was paying to be there. Like that feels icky. Mm -hmm. There was like, she had an MLM person on and I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, we're just going to not listen to her. Like she broke my trust basically. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of her content was really impactful and really actionable and great. But then I started seeing the guests she had on and the sponsorship she was taking. And I was like, nope, this is a no. Now I don't trust you anymore. Yeah. And so I think to give people a lot of care when, if you have your own show, you know, booking the guests on, taking sponsorships, what calls to action you're giving is really important because it's really easy to break that trust if you're recommending something that like isn't good. 
if you have someone on your show that's like less than ethical. Those are all like things to consider. And I guess on the flip side too, if you're an author going on a show, so like one example is we as a company have like decided a while ago that we're no longer pitching to Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. We don't want our clients going on Joe Rogan. That was a decision that we don't want our clients associated with this. There's other like smaller podcasts too that we're like, you know what, this is not aligned with our clients. We don't want them to be on the show. So we're not going to pitch them anymore, no matter what how big their listenership is and how much they read. Yeah. So I think that thinking about that too, of like that trust of like, if you go on to someone else's show, keep in mind like that your current audience is watching, right? So like if your current audience sees that like you're hanging out with Joe Rogan, they might have feelings about that. <laughs> you might have break in their trust. Some might not care. Some might love it. Who knows? And so just keeping that in mind too, of like, if you get calls or get requests, what you going on that show says about you and how that will impact your relationship with the public, right? Public yeah. relations. Yes. A hundred percent. I definitely agree. There's a lot of research that needs to be done when you're pitching to be on other shows, as well as a host of a podcast in ensuring that the people that come on are aligned with your brand and being okay with saying, you know what, we're going to cut this section of what they said, because it doesn't align with what I'm saying. And I had a client say that where she, one of her guests had said something political, and the client didn't agree with it and was like, is it okay if we cut it? And I'm like, it's your content. Absolutely. We can cut it all up however we want, because your audience is there for you and listening to you. And if something the guest says isn't aligned, then that's it. Like, (laughs) we're not gonna just let it sit there for them to think that you agree with it. So no, 100% agree. It's so so important to be strategic with that public relations side to make sure that the brand that you're embodying is aligned with what your values are and that you don't break that trust. Is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you're like, ooh, we got to talk about this before we head out? I think that there's a balance to, I think a lot of authors will come to us and be like, I need a podcast, (laughs) right? They're like, I am going to do a podcast. And I always ask, okay, why? Yeah. (laughs) Why? And what is it going to be? Most of the podcasters we work with, or excuse me, most of the authors we work with who have podcasts are nonfiction authors who are doing it for their business, Mm -hmm. just like, you know, your listeners to leads listeners. And so I think that that makes a lot of sense, but also like, again, being very clear on what the format is, what sets it apart, doing all of that work. And then of course, knowing that it will take probably double, maybe triple the work that you think it's going to take. And is that going to impact your writing? Because most of our authors don't want to be podcasters. They want to be writers. They want their podcast to support their books. Yeah, you know. And we have one fiction author who does, it's a YouTube channel and a podcast called Making It Up. And I asked him, I was like, why are you doing this? And he's like, I just think it will be fun. I'm like, okay. And it has been fun and it's been a great networking tool mm-hmm. because when we had to get blurbs for his upcoming book, he had a whole Rolodex of authors <laughs> that he had had on the show. And he's like, here we go. We can now yep. reach out to all these people. So he used it because it was fun. It was because it was an and a networking tool as well. So I think if you're thinking about, if you want to capitalize on podcasts, the easiest way is to pitch yourself to podcasts and to try to get on shows that reach your target audience. That's the easiest way. 
if you really want to start your own podcast, just really get clear on what your podcast is and why you're doing it. And I always question like, is this the best way to do that? So if you're like, I want to network with authors, is uh, the podcast the best way to do it for you? Maybe the answer is yes, but maybe not. Maybe it's going to a conference. Maybe it's volunteering to moderate a panel at a library, whatever it is. So that's what I would say is if you're thinking like, I want to have a podcast, assume it's going to take double, maybe triple the work that you think it's going to take and ask yourself if it's going to impact your writing and then also why you're doing it and if that's the best way to accomplish that goal. Yes. I have a podcast episode on here called, Should You Have a Podcast? <laughs> it talks through that. Go listen. It's so important. Also picking your format. We have lots of episodes. Just go back and listen to all the episodes. You'll get all the information on whether you should have a podcast or not. I have a lot of feelings around that because a lot of people in the online space will say everyone who is a business owner should have a podcast. And I don't agree with that. Highly, highly disagree. It is a lot of work. It is a lot of effort. And it might not be the best medium for you. And to add to your list, if you are thinking about a podcast, go be a guest on some shows. See how that feels. You might be like, you know, I don't like talking to people. (laughs) And that's okay. But I would rather learn that before putting in all the effort and time and money into actually launching a podcast before that. (laughs) And as the host, it takes double the work, right? Like I just showed up today. I'm just talking about stuff I already know. Like there was very little prep for me involved. But Alicia, you had to like do some research, get the booking, set up the calendar, invite, like do all of those things. So there's a lot more that goes into being the host than the guest. Yes, for sure. Well, where can everyone find you? This has been such an incredible conversation. Thank you so much for all of your wisdom. Well, thank you for having me. I think the best place for people to start is to go to yourbreakoutbook.com and check out my podcast, which is still there. It's evergreen. But they can also join authors if you're interested in reaching more readers, DIYing it. Then there's a membership community that the community only is five bucks a month. So it's a great way to get started. So yourbreakoutbook.com. Perfect. And is that for people who already have a book or they're thinking about like writing a book or what kind of... We're in that journey. I recommend people who have written the book, at least one book, and have a path to publication. So for everyone, if you're listening and you are writing a book, don't even worry about any of the marketing right now. Just finish your book. Because the fact is, and this isn't this isn't a criticism of anyone, there's a lot of people who think about writing a book who don't write one. Mm. There's a lot of people who start writing books who never finish. If you finish your book and start the path to publication, whether you're pitching to agents and publishers or you're going to go the indie author route, you're in the minority if you finished. So I would say if you're working on a book or thinking about writing a book, don't even think about marketing and PR now. Just write the book. And if you have finished writing the book, then that is the time to start thinking about the publishing piece. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah, I wanted to make sure to clarify that just for anyone because it sounds... Like it's like that podcast that where most 90% of people don't make it past seven episodes. Yes, precisely. I think that there's a lot of people, my wife included, she's like, I want to write a book. I want to write a children's book. I'm like, do it. And that was like five years ago. <laughs> there's a lot of people who have, I, I hear it all the time. I have a great idea for a book. Amazing. Go write it. Yeah. And for all of you who have written a book, congratulations. You are in like the 0.001% of people on this planet who have finished a book. Wow. (laughs) Incredible. Uh, Thank you so much. 
Thank you for having me, Alicia. This is great. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Listeners to Leads. If you found something in this episode valuable, I would really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend who you know would also get value from it. Want to send me a message? My favorite place to hang out is Instagram. You can find me at alicia.lotti. Let me know what your favorite takeaway was from the episode. And don't forget, turning those listeners into leads is actually easy.